Okay. I'm here. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the show, everyone. Listening to Belgarian and Beyond with Sandra and Alicia, and we're up to chapter ten of Porn of Prophecy in the Belgarian series of books. Hey, Alicia, welcome to the show again. Hi, good to be back again. I'm excited for this chapter. Oh, it's, it's all happening. Excited. It's all starting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This okay. is. A lot to talk about this time, I think. I think so. So let's dive straight in. You tell me um, what's in your cup this week. What's in Polgara's cup for you this week? It is a spicy, sweet type of tea. Um, I've been having a really, really great week. It's been, I've been feeling really inspired and also really relaxed. I think that always hits me during like Christmas, the week of Christmas leading up to it, I kind of slow down and I just go inward a lot and uh, spend time with family. don't really worry about work too much. And that always helps. And um, Christmas time with the family was really, really good. Uh, the kids had a lot of fun. We were able to get them most of the stuff they wanted. So that was good. Um, but it still is a challenge for me when my kids are home from school. Uh, I can't deny that parenthood doesn't come naturally to me. So when I'm with them 24-7, trying to work from home is what makes it difficult. Um, can be challenging for me because it's like they, they're still younger. They don't necessarily get the difference of like, but you're home, come be with us. And it's like, well, no, I have to focus on this stuff too. And then I'll take a break and then I'll come back to work and then I'll stop at this time and then I'm done for the day, you know. So yeah. it's a challenge, but. It's so interesting that you say that it doesn't come naturally. I would, that is not what I have seen since I've known you and, <laughs> and you know, experiencing the way that you are with your girls. So it's, it's just interesting to me that you make that comment Mm -hmm. and um that um i don't know that might be a conversation we have sometime about why <laughs> you're beating yourself up about that particular thing <laughs> i think for me i the, the reason i say that is because i notice when i'm in the mothering mode when mm -hmm. that's like who i am being i have less patience i lose my cool really easily don't necessarily have patience for complaints and whining and fighting and yeah I'll easily just kind of nip it in the butt I can become very much like Aunt Paul and be that, <laughs> that tough like yeah I've, I've actually done it with Alexis's friends at times when they get in those modes mm. I'm the only adult around and I'll react how I normally react with my own children and the other girls look at me like whoa you know like what and then it's kind of to me like, oh, am I being too harsh? Well, I don't feel like I'm a harsh person. but Because there are lots of different ways of being a mother. And the way that right. you are a mother is the right way for you. Yeah. So that's the natural way that you are a mother. So I would say you are a natural mother. You're just your own type of mother. Right. <laughs> so 
It's true. There you go. Yes, and totally get it. Uh, Paul wouldn't stand for any bullshit either. <laughs> right. That's how I feel. That's the kind of mother I am. <laughs> so it just feels like I'm being harsh, but I don't know how any other way to do it. So. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So how about you? How are so, you? Oh, my, so my week was like, my cup has this thick, sweet, dark chocolate fudge kind of concoction in it and I could quite happily eat it with a spoon that's how sort of thick and yummy it is um I just had such a such an amazing week I feel super accomplished and I've had a week of um in my private uh group your kind voice that I do um with my holistic therapy stuff I've done just done a week of Christmas presents. So I know that this is like, you know, weeks after Christmas when you're all hearing this, darling listeners. But for me, it's just like Christmas was two days ago. And so I've just done this week of um, hashtag Christmas presents. And it was all about the ways that we can be present for ourselves. And it was things like grace and um, connection and peace and those kinds of things and the ways that that sort of stuff was showing up in our life and so I worked I was sort of focusing on my physical body because I've had a few little hiccups that I'm not going to talk about right now but um, it was this really gentle kind of peeling away of all of this stuff and now I feel so much lighter. And I had the Christmas do with the family, my in-laws, um, yesterday. And I made the brownie, the dessert um, for the dinner. And it was the, it's like the, I call it my Christmas brownie. And so my cup is full of, you know, like if I took a piece of this brownie and melted it and poured it into a cup, that's what's in my cup. There's so much chocolate and butter and eggs and sugar in this concoction it's just so delicious and like about half a step away from pure fudge <laughs> that sounds amazing <laughs> and and so I've just had I've just like been so productive and even though I didn't feel particularly well I was showing up every day because I'd made this commitment to my group and so I wasn't only showing up for I, I, it started out with me showing up for them, but it was me showing up for me. And that was the important part. And so it was so healing. And, and, you know, so by the time I got to last night and today, I'm just feeling like I could float out of my chair. I've had such a good day. Yeah. Yeah. That I was following a little bit of that in your group and the people in your group are really into it as well. And I think that that engagement alone can really <sighs> like lift you up and just personally within yourself too. Yeah. Everyone is so supportive, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's <laughs> been my week. It sounds really good. And I forgot that. Yeah. By the time people listen to this Christmas will have been <laughs> months well, ago. So we've got chapter 10. So this is episode 10. Mm -hmm. and episode one starts in January so this will be like next week so we're doing some time travel calculations here beep 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 at the beginning um, of March 10 weeks from now when's that 
beginning of March sometime. <laughs> so we're talking about Christmas <laughs> and March. This is yeah. weird. <laughs> Welcome Sorry, to guys. the wibbly wobbly timey wimey <laughs> world of Bulgarian and beyond. Yes, I know yeah. that was a total crossover, but welcome to the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's All right. so unique. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we get into that in chapter 10? Garion's uh, view. Give me the summary. Okay, so the chapter starts. They are on the road to Kamar for a little bit. And they stop at a couple of, okay, how do you say this? Tolnedrin. Tolnedrin. Tolnedrin or Tolnedrin? Right. I'm Australian, so that's my accent. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say Tolnedrin, so. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Just a bit of Dutch thrown in there too. (laughs) Tolnedran hostels. So there's like two separate, two separate ones they stop at. But Garian notices they look exactly the same. Uh, we learn that they like to basically keep things that are familiar and comfortable to them. Um, so then Aunt Pole gets fed up with going undercover as vagabonds and decides that she's going to choose her own disguise this time. Pretends to be a <laughs> duchess. When they get to Kamar, basically tells Mr. Wolf, you're paying for all of this. And he <laughs> kind of just shrugs it off, you know, and uh, like, whatever you want, it's fine. And so they stay at the finest inn. She gets treated basically like what I would imagine is royalty in this world. Um, and again, Mr. Wolf, he seems to have no bottom to the purse. So he's carrying mm-hmm. his coins in. He just keeps pulling the money out for whatever they need. Um, and we get some insight while they're in this um, in between Garion and some of the characters. And then while they're at the inn, some soldiers arrive who say they're they're sent by the king and they're looking for basically Mr. Wolf, a man with the white hair and beard. Uh, and he um, basically eventually just walks out and says, oh, that's me. And so they tell them very kindly that they're basically gonna be keeping them prisoner at the inn. At least that's how Gary Ann perceives it. Mm-hmm. That's how I perceived it. Too. Yep. That's a pretty good summary, babe. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so into the details of this chapter. So into the details. So when they start, at the start, I'm just going to, I'm actually going to, you know, try and keep track this time and skip through the chapter as they're talking about it so that I know. Right. It, right. There was, there's, it's sort of a transitional chapter, I think, this one. It sort of it gets into the wider world and we start, um, I don't know, it feels like it's spreading out, like bleeding out into the, the storybook world. And we get, we're getting to know more and we're gathering more information. And so there's, it's not an info dump, but it's, there's a lot of information scattered through the chapter that I think is really important. Okay. Yeah, so it starts off with them still on the road and they're like in the snowstorm, basically. <clears throat> and that's when they find, you know, they decide they need to find a place to stay for the night and yep. they find that the hostel. So, yeah, and they've, so they've left the, so the last chapter they left with the Algar horses and the, so they're really, you know, top of the, top of the hill horses. And so they've been galloping. So they galloped all day in the snow and it took them 10 leagues and it's 40 leagues to Kamar. So 
that's like four days. So I think they must say at hostels, like it must be more than twice that they do it, but they only talk really specifically about twice, but it gives you the impression that like they tell you how long it's going to be 10 legs a day galloping. So maybe three or maybe even four times stopping on the road. Yeah, I would imagine they'd have to stop more than that. But the two that we see, you know, um, mm. Gary and ob observes the food is plain but filling. And, you know, and the first stop is when he again starts questioning Aunt Paul, mm, mm. you know, about who were his parents and yeah, why won't so, you tell him anything? <laughs> so when, when they stop, so... Um, he's so exhausted you know they've been galloping and it's snowing and so he's cold and tired and you know really hungry and so they finally get to the hostel and they've had the dinner and Garion's um sitting there almost unconscious at the table and everyone's sort of starting to talk softly and uh, Paul tells him you know suggests that it's time for bed and he does that whole I'm not a child Aunt Paul and she just sort of agrees with him yes you know yes dear come on <laughs> and and so he's at that really beautiful stage where, <clears throat> and like he stands up and he's surprised to discover that his knees don't hold him. Like he's shaking at the knees, he's so tired. But Aunt Paul is there to like hold him up and help him, help him go. So, you know, that fierce, did you ever feel that? Like that fierce, end of, you just so wanted to be counted as, as, Oh, well, not an adult because you knew you weren't an adult, but like not a child. Yeah. Like you had your own mind. You could think for yourself and you don't have yeah. to be told what to do. And But then yeah, you know. all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that 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 scene where she actually, you know, helps him because he is so tired again, she's right. Yes. And it's just kind of this, you know, constantly every time he tries to defy her by saying but I'm not a child then there's always like some instance to where actually she does have to kind of treat him like a child by helping him to bed you know and but she's quite I mean I know we say all the time that she's really stern but she's actually really loving like the way that she's just so patient with the yes dear and she helps him you know she just does it even though he doesn't he says he doesn't want her to, but he obviously needs her to. Mm -hmm. and, and this next scene that they go into is one of my favourite in the whole chapter. Do you remember it? Well, she takes him upstairs, right? And then, yeah, and he's um, so tired and he lies down. He's asking her about his parents again. So this is interesting. Like, so he's, he doesn't know the names of his parents. Right. So this is the first sort of, so he's, he hasn't, mustn't have asked about them since that last time. And that was years ago for him when he was a little boy, when he found out that they died. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, she says that she says the names of Garion's parents are, um, I think it's Garan, Garan and Ildera. Yeah. And he says the names don't sound Sundarian. And she just flat out tells him, well, they're not. <laughs> Yeah, so um, um, so that was a bit of honesty from her that he does. She doesn't usually give him, right? Yeah, but she she's not willing to tell him 
you know what race they are you know that it's, mm-hmm. it's a very long story and and you're much too tired to hear about that now um, yeah. and then you know the way that he did when he was a little boy he reached out his hand and touches that white lock of her hair mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was curious about that part because I'm like, I remember the first time he did it and he was younger. So I'm thinking in my head, reading this for the first time, did he really wait that, that long to try doing it again? Or was there other times in between that we didn't know about? Or are we meant to believe there's only been two times that he's done this and that... Well, I think that we're meant to believe that he's only done it the two times because... Um, Aunt Paul's response is that she moves her head away and says, I've asked you not to do that, Gary, with her, with a very matter of fact tone. So it feels like it's not something that's happened very often. And I, th- I suspect that it is just the two times. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is the moment when it seems like she, like just with her words, makes him get really sleepy and close his eyes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so she's like, and so, so what happens when he touches her hair is that he sees um, a face like Mr. Wolf's, but not Mr. Wolf. And he gets a sense of really of towering fury. And all of this fury is directed at that face. Mm. And then that's it. Right. So, so that's a, that's a, um, that was interesting. That's interesting. What do you think about that? You know, I, by the time I got to the end of this chapter, I'd already forgotten about that part of the chapter. And looking back though, knowing how this chapter ends with Mr. Wolf, I feel like it's somehow, he's somehow, Garyan may be uh, having like a premonition in a way of what's to come. In oh, interesting. Sense. Okay, interesting. I think there's much more meaning to it, but I also think it is in some ways reflective of what happens to Mr. Wolf at the end of this chapter. Ah, okay, okay. And so, so yeah, they have this. So he's sort of falling asleep, and it feels like he's sort of saying, "You're going to have to tell me one day." And she's like, "Yes, but not yet." But it feels kind of comfortable, like he's like he's like he's almost content to wait now because he knows that at some point he will know and he sort of gained just gained that little bit of um perspective just with a few you know with a with a little bit of time passing and maybe his experiences with everyone on the road and his world sort of expanding so hugely that he can see that there's much more to his life or to life in general than he thought there was and so maybe that's why he's a little bit more content to wait what do you think yeah, and I think it's also I think it's partly that, but I think it's also that he's starting to kind of figure out his own answers too. Um, like in the last, I think it was the last chapter with that shadowy figure in the window and that Nick in his arm type thing, and he's just really understanding there's something um, deeper that's magic related. That I think he almost kind of wants figure it out for himself in some ways than just be told the answer now I don't know that's the feeling I'm getting (laughs) yep 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 and so and so I'm going to save that little bit where he goes to sleep because that's my magic thing okay Um, yeah so he falls asleep and 
silk is there. Next, oh, this is the next morning when silk is observing Sindaria and how misty and snowy it is and how cold it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so this is like, so we're getting more of an education about how the, you know, what the environment's like. So Sindaria, misty Sindaria. So, you know, it's like snow and um, rain. And so it's definitely this sort of agricultural landscape full of farms that we were introduced to at the start. You know, I just see this rolling, you know, I can sort of see it as countryside with, you know, lots of farmland and generous rainfall. And then the seasons turn really... Well, I kind of see it almost like where I live in the Netherlands is how I picture Sendaria looking, except for the fact that the Netherlands is perfectly flat. And the descriptions of Sendaria say it's like a rumpled cloth. There's so many hills yeah. and things. So maybe not quite like the Netherlands at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, weather-wise, it sounds familiar. You know, it so sounds maybe more like snowy. England or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then they go, uh, you know, Silk's just making these observations while they're moving to their next hostel for the day, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for the night. And it's yeah. really kind of a quick transition there. And then they're suddenly arriving at Kamar. And this is when Aunt Paul um, decides that I'm, I'm taking charge now. We're not going to be staying at these low-grade inns anymore. Oh. I want some real food and a shower. <laughs> and so they arrive at Kamar. Isn't it thrilling? Like, I get a little thrill when Aunt Polly, like, it feels like she's going to, if she had a cape, she would swirl it and, like, you know, <laughs> lift herself up on her horse and, like, queen it over everybody. I just get this amazing picture in my imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And because she, they pull up and she basically, I think she gives Mr. Wolf a little bit of a warning, like, saying, like, yeah, I'm going to. We're going to do it my way this time. And he agrees, yeah. like, okay, whatever you want. You can, can you just see it. his face, though, when she says it? It's like, it's like this resigned look in my head. It's like, I can see him just like, yeah, well, no point objecting because this, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, of course, Aunt Paul, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> yeah, the line the line is, of course, Paul, Wolf said mildly, whatever you say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So then she pulls up to the gate and they at there, what's your business in Kamar? And she's like, I'm the Duchess of Erat. Okay. That's how I said it in my head, but I'm like, yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I'm the Duchess of Erat and they're, these are my retainers and the business is my own affair. I so. know. Do you love it? <laughs> like get out of my way. What I'm doing here is none of your fucking business. Yeah. And then they, the guards just kind of, go with it they immediately uh, accept that as truth yes so her presence must be like... yeah <laughs> she's really believable in that because they call her your grace forgive me your grace well i imagine that she is believable from what we know of her mm -hmm. so far but the way that she just does it so seamlessly from it's like it doesn't it's like she's not pretending this is like somewhere in her this persona yeah yeah it's it's clear that this has been part of her life before like she knows the role very well yeah 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 and so um, they're directing her to the lion which is the the nicest inn in kamar 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love how the others in the group just kind of pick up on her lead so mm -hmm. beautifully. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously Wolf, he's pretty natural and Silk are pretty natural with all of that to just put on whatever face they need to. Mm, well, they're uh, the only ones who really hear from, but yeah. Right. And I think though, I would imagine like Garion, for example, in that situation, he's probably just keeping his mouth shut and trying to look as natural as possible. <laughs> work out like, what I the hell's going on. <laughs> I don't know what my role is in this. So let me just like try to hide now. Yeah. 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 That's how I'd imagine him to be if we could actually see what he was. Yeah. Yeah. Doing so, in that moment. <laughs> so I think, I think he and he and Danik, um, so the, so we, we hear from Wolf and Silk, they sort of pick up on this, this, um, new way of being. We don't hear from Barrack, um, which I think is perfectly normal if he's sort of hulking along, looking very dangerous. He doesn't need to do anything except exist. <laughs> it's doing the whole thing. Um, and Dernick and Garion, like, of course, I can imagine they're sitting on their horses with their eyes bugging out of their heads going, how the hell do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and Silk is really natural with the role because when they arrive, it says at Custom Square, he approaches somebody and he's basically like, my mistress requires direction to an inn called the Lion. Be so good as to provide them. Yeah. And he's really haughty and insulting. Mm hmm Yeah. So he gets into the role really, really good. Yeah. So, um, so they get to the inn and, um, and yeah. And so you know, Art Paul's really getting into this. She doesn't just get a room, she gets an entire apartment. So <laughs> it really is like we step into this feeling of royalty, as you said. Yeah. And even like the innkeeper, when they get there, he comments that she has a commanding presence. Yeah, everyone's kind of in awe of her. And so they, yeah. they go up to their room and, and um, the innkeeper sends his daughter up to be a maid for Art Paul. And Art Paul's like said... Uh, and our, our bags are way behind, our bag, what did what she say? Our baggage horses are uh, behind us, so I will need a dressmaker and a maid to wait on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, this is, oh, this is where she's talking, because they get up to the room, is it? Are they already in there? Yeah, so they all trip up to the room, and Garion's, it sort of describes how Garion's a bit kind of glamoured by the whole thing, because it's so such a rich place and um you know one of the comments is that there's real wax candles rather than smoky tallow so that kind of gives you this and, and tapestries on the walls so yeah yeah and then this is the the moment when um they get up there and Dernick finally speaks up and he's kind of like yeah well what am I supposed to do and she's like well it's, it's really quite simple yeah and, but <laughs> and she doesn't drop the she doesn't drop the act like she stays in the duchess of a rat kind of mind the whole mm -hmm. time now yeah and so she directs him of who he is what he's gonna do and she said how would you like to be the chief groom of the duchess of a rat and master of her stables Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like that's that's a noble title for me but sure I'll give it a try <laughs> you know work I've done all my life but yeah okay mm -hmm. so they're all assigned their 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 you know positions in her 
um, what do you call it? Uh, not retinue, um, entourage, entourage. Yeah. And, and then Garion's like, well, what am I? And she's, well, you're my page. You can be my page. Mm-hmm. And I love, love, love this part. Can you guess which part I love the most? <laughs> A little bit. I don't know because oh, because he's she's like you're you're gonna fetch me things, and he's basically <laughs> like, well, that's what I always do, anyways. And she's like, don't be impertinent. <laughs> also, <laughs> you also answer the door, announce the visitors, and you may, if I'm melancholy, you may sing to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love what he says. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that part. You won't be very gracious if I have to sing for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that line made me curse. I'm like, if only this book could be like their voices so that he could give a sample of his singing <laughs> for us. Yes. So, <laughs> That'd be perfect. So that that's my that's my favorite line. Um, yeah, that is really I've been trying really. to work out how to make it into a hashtag. There we go. That's good. Yeah, you won't be very gracious. There we go. And then the maid that she sent for arrives. Yeah, um, this is a nice little thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Her name is Donia. Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Yep. Yeah, so she, she kind of addresses her briefly. Um, but later, I think it's a little bit later on when Garyon notices. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of hanging out. Yeah, because they're like the same age. And I guess it's been a while since Garion's been around anyone his own age. And she's a, you know, a pretty thing. And he feels, com- you know, feels comfortable with her. So that's like a nice little soft uh, connection that he has. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good little moment. And I think that comes a little bit later, though, as I'm looking through here. Because first, Mr. Wolf comes in and ends like, basically doing his little whispers about who they're following, what they're looking for again. Well, yeah. So he, they, they, he comes in and talks about it. And um, so they're going out again. So each place that they've stopped, he and Silk have gone out to look for the trail in inverted um, commas, you know. Um, however, he, it is that he tracks this trail or picks it up. And um, yeah, so they leave to go do that again. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then, and then Barak and Garion are kind of left alone in yes. the apartment, right? Yeah. So this is Aunt Paul went to go have her bath. Well, yes, yeah, so she's gone off with Donia, and yeah, and, and Garion's there with Barak. So what do you what do you? Um, I'll let you go with this with this scene. Yeah, I like this. I like this scene because we don't see too much from Barak usually. We don't. Mm. He doesn't really say that much, and so to have a whole conversation with him was kind of nice. And he seems actually very knowledgeable about every, like the people of Sundaria or, or the world that they're in and like the backgrounds of stuff. And this, he knows the story, um, talks about, uh, Garion's like asking him a lot of questions and he seems, when Garion starts to get into a point where it seems too far, mm. Barak kind of pulls back and, and he's just basically like, I can't tell you that because if Aunt Paul found out, mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be that man on the other end of Aunt Paul's scolding. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in the conversation that he has with Garion, um, 
talks about different parts of the world and, you know, where the tapestries come from and they talk a little bit. So the, I think this is the first time we hear about um, Arends, who are the people depicted in the tapestries. And they're obviously, you know, they're dressed in lots of armour and and they talk about... Um, it tells him a little bit about that. And then it, during the conversation, they get into a little bit of a lesson about the anger acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know that you've asked about the anger acts before, and it's, it is a little bit confusing. So this is, these are the people that belong to Torak, the one-eyed god. So it's, it's really um, nice and simply explained here by Barak to Garion. You know, there are five tribes and so there's the Murgos and the Thols, who Garion has already met, but then there's the Nadraks and the Malorians and the Grollams. And he talks about how, you know, where they live and how the Grollams um, don't live in any special place, but they're, they're the priests of Torak. What did you think about the description of the priests' duties <laughs> and, what, and, I, and their religious observances? <laughs> Oh, I don't remember that part. Where is it here? Or you can just tell me. The priest. So, so the, the, the priests of um, Torak, basically one of the, the main, um, um, the central part of their religious practice is um, human sacrifice. And it says that the Grollum knives have spilled more Angarak blood than, does it, than a dozen Vomimbers. So Vomimbre mm. was the, that war that Garion pretended to be fighting in when he was playing with his friend, you know, way back when. That's right. like the big battle. And um, so it says, you know, okay. Grollum, so Grollums okay. obviously do the sacrificing of the people to the god and it's all very horrible. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, well... As soon as it's is, I didn't remember the description, but it, as soon as he says the Grollums are priests, the priests of Torak, I immediately went to again like a, the when you get deeper into the Lord of the Rings story and you learn about the priests that that are work for like the Dark Lord and and that series too, my mind just kind of visualized that same scenario of just these. Which priests in the Lord of the Rings? I'm trying to place the story. It's. I think it's more in. If you go back and read the Silmarion. Have you oh, read I've that? never. Re- I've never read that. It's basically like the history book right. <laughs> of the Lord of the Rings world, and I think they're in there a bit in it, but they're really powerful. Um, yeah. And so I visualized, but I, reading this, the Grolems to me didn't seem up until now all that mm. powerful. Right. So we're starting to build the picture like that. Yeah, they've been kind of harmless. They've been an annoyance and they've been like someone that people that they've wanted to avoid, mm-hmm. but they haven't been yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And so this gives you a whole new angle on them of like, oh, so they priest to me when it's used in the terms of darkness like that means that they have some type of this dark magic within them that yeah. was given to them by something that they did that wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, <gasps> and the fact that next, they make the sacrifices. Yeah, it's horrible. And next, dun, 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 magical moment. I'll leave it up to you. Well, which one are you talking about? Because I'm looking at the, <laughs> I'm looking at when they start talking about the, the orb of Aldor. Is that what yes! you mean? Yes. 
ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because this is the first time we've heard of it again since way back in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. In the prologue. Um, Yeah, so Beric knows a lot of this story. He's telling him about, Garion about the orb. We learn a little bit more about it. So what what have you learned about the orb? just in this little part so that I can get it from your point of view. So the orb of Aldor is obviously like the, the big thing of this story that everybody wants because it holds a lot of whoever has it seems to hold all the power in some way. So at least that's how Torax sees it. Says he wants it because he was able to use it to, you know, crack the world as Barak says is told in the story and then the orb repays him by burning out his eye and consuming his hand mm-hmm. and so garen seems confused by that like how can the world be cracked mm-hmm. i don't understand that part of the story so yeah says what, basically says that's how powerful it is yeah when torak raised it the earth was split apart by its power and the seas came in to drown the land, the story's very old, but I think that's probably true, is what Beric says. <laughs> yeah, I love how he's just so kind of, you know, like, yep, yeah, probably true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can, like, if I was saying that, I could just see, like, shrugging my shoulders, like, yeah, it's probably true. And yeah, then, exactly. Like, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, and then Gary asks the key question. Where is it now? Uh-huh. Um, and this is when Barak starts to kind of shut off. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm not answering you anymore. <laughs> so yeah. Garen's like, you know what I think? <laughs> I think that the orb is what's been stolen. And that's what we're trying to find. That's what Mr. Wolf is hunting. And Barak's like, yeah, well, I think I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, and I think it'd be better if you didn't think so much about such things <laughs> yeah so that's like the it's basically the same conversation that gary and had with silk in one of the earlier chapters where gary's being very intuitive and insightful and hitting the nail on the head in a lot of different ways and silk's like yeah well i'm not going to answer these questions because you know that's going to get me into trouble and barrack's kind of saying the same thing you know and gary is like you're not afraid of our poll are you and Barrack's like, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, he's like, any man with a good sense is afraid of her. And Garion's kind of like, what? Aunt Paul? <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't see it. Like, he doesn't understand how people could be afraid of her. And so yeah. Barrack's like, Garion says no. And then he's like, well, well I'm not really yet. afraid. And Barrack's like, yeah, like, like that. that. Exactly can't that. find the word. <laughs> You can't find the word, and Beric's like, exactly. You really um, are afraid. I'm not any more stupid than you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so that, that's a really go back and forth. Yeah, like yeah. he won't tell him stuff. He keeps trying to ask, and he's asking. Oh, and then they, it, this is like almost a, re- it's a pretty good repeat of that conversation he has with Silk, actually, because they get to the who am I questions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, you know, Silk says that I'm not a sender and I don't think my parents were senders. Their names don't sound like it anyway. And then Barrack's yeah. like... Yeah. He tells him that he looks like a 
was a Reven. A Reven. And so is this the first time we've heard of Revens in the story? Yeah. So I think the only other mention of them is when <clears throat> Silk talks about being not forgiving the snake people, the Neesons, for murdering the Ribbon King. Mm. So there's something important about the Ribbon King. Who was who, who? So the Ribbons don't have a king anymore, but they are they're, they're part of this same group of peoples that the Cheriks and the Drasnians and the Sendars are, are you know part of. So there's the right. Drasnians, who Silk is one of. The Cheriks, who Barak is one of, the Sendars, and that's Dernick, and now the Rivens, who apparently Garion looks a lot like, who don't yeah. have a king. <laughs> um, and yeah, he asks too, is Aunt Paul a Riven? And then again, Barak doesn't want to answer. That. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, and it's like a, a, the, the sense I get from Garion at the end of this conversation is he's like, oh yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> You're not telling me, but I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll find out someday at least. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, and then, Gar and then Barak distracts Garion. Like any teenage boy would be totally distracted by. Oh, yeah, to teach him how to use a sword. Which he's totally. Forgot about that. <laughs> so he totally forgets all about the questions that he had at the prospect of holding a sword and learning how to use it. Mm hmm. Well, doesn't it later say that he kind of quickly got bored with it <laughs> once he realized how heavy the bloody thing was? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, he got out there. He got over it pretty fast. Yeah, that's cool. And then Silk and um, Mr. Wolf get back from their exploration and they're all wet from the snow, but uh, they look pretty happy with themselves. And so they all get together. Uh, and Aunt Paul is comes back because she's all done up now. Oh, yes, yes. This is her re-entry after being with the dressmaker. And Garion definitely notices a huge difference even though he's been with her his whole life yeah so it's like just... the first time he's realizing how beautiful she is yeah he's like stunned his whole his voice is just taken away he's standing there like a fish with his mouth open mm -hmm. and this is so beautiful this line um paul says don't stand and gape gary it's not polite and he says you're beautiful aunt paul yes dear she said patting his cheek i know now, where is the old wolf? <laughs> <laughs> Not even a thank you. She just says, I know. Yeah. I know. So, of course I am. And then, and then, yeah, she goes in and everyone, so, you know, does, it's very girl, it's very like, um, not not real not art pole this little bit is like a whole other little dimension to art pole dressed in her finery when she enters the room with all the other people in it. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a whole other side to her. Yeah, she's like, oh, do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Wolf kind of just is like, oh, yeah, of course. Blue has always been your color. And and he gets right into a business of like, it, you know, I know it's been here, whatever it is. And um, did it come by siege? Aunt Paul asks, no, he says. He probably came ashore with it in some secluded cove up the coast and then traveled here by land. Yeah, so they talk so that they they've 
finally picked up the trail of this whatever it is that they're following and they're, so then they start talking about um, where they'll go next and um, um, they touch on a couple of God things. But before we hit that, I just want to go back just a little bit and talk about Dernick's reaction to Aunt Paul because this is kind of important. <laughs> the, you know, when she comes out and she's completely gorgeous, Dernick's like just about poleaxed, the poor man. He's so adore, you know, his adoration is just plain on his face and... Megarian completely observes it. And yeah, yeah. Even feels sorry for him a bit. I think. Yeah. So but just. I think, well, I don't know that he's sorry, but he's like. Well, I think he he picked touched. up on Dernick's. Yeah, he picked up on Dernick's. I think the way his face, the way they describe yeah. his face, turned very pale and then very red, and finally settled into expression of such hopelessness. And I think yeah, Gary's I, been watching him since he was a little boy and how much he loves Aunt Paul, you know. Yeah, and so I think that in a sense he felt sorry for him in that way just because yeah. I think he realized that Dernick felt like, I'll yeah. never get her. Yeah. I'll never oh, get that, her. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. It's like he felt his pain in that moment. Yeah. And so they touch on a couple of gods here. Do you remember? No, I see the paragraph that I think of that. Yeah, so we won't we won't read any more text in case we get done for copyright, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we've done enough of that, but we'll yeah, stay away. Okay. I'm just oh my god, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> so they talk about Bella and who is um, the bear god of the Alorns. And the Alorns are the Sindarians and the Dresnians and the um, Cheriks and the um, Reverends, I think. And um, so, the, so Bella, the bear god, and then they talk about the Ulgos mm -hmm. and the wrath of the wrath of Ul. So they call, so there's the... Bella and Ul, who is apparently even more fearsome than Bella. So there's a couple of gods who get touched on. It's just a normal conversation, like. <laughs> yeah, that, all that was a little bit over my head is, is not knowing, you know, too much about the rest of the story yet. So what's your reaction to it, knowing that they're talking about gods here in the context of just like planning well, where they're going next? <laughs> I think that it proves Garion's really on the right track about his hunches of, of what they're after and, you know, because it's all tied back to Kaltorak as well as he was a god and mm -hmm. the orb is tied to him and then these gods are all tied together and mm -hmm. I think, that, I mean, that's all I could get out of it basically. Okay, okay cool. So, yeah, and then Dernick, Dernick sort of, okay, I don't, says he doesn't understand and um, Wolf goes over the fact that it's best not to um, say the name of the person who's stolen the thing or even the name of the thing um, because he's, he can pick it up and then, you know, so they touch on this and Dernick's like, is he a sorcerer or something? And Wolf sort of deflects that saying, well, that's not what I would call him, but... Um, so that's out there now. There's the the sorcerer word up there. Right. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, a lot like he who must not be named. Do not speak it because it'll make him stronger. Mm. And so let's call him thief instead. And um, so they're trying to work out where he's going and they don't know whether... So he seems to be... he's, He's definitely connected to Torak. Because Wolf's like, well, um, he's always wanted the thing for himself, so we don't know for sure if he'll take it to Torak, which must be what he should do. This this thief should be doing, taking whatever it is to Torak, but he might want to keep it for himself. Mm-hmm. Then they talk a little bit about this about um, Salmistra, who is the queen of the serpent people, who are the Nersens. And it's interesting, did you catch the thing that Aunt Paul says about the Nissan Queen? No, I didn't. So she's like, if it turns out, she, if, if she's like, if some mistress has been messing in this, I'm going to sort her out once and for all. And so, mm-hmm. so if, she, if, if Aunt Paul is the kind of person who sorts out queens just because they've pissed her off, that's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Shows how powerful she is to go up against the queen of the serpent people to me. It's like queen yeah. of the serpent people. I'm really interested to, like, I would like to see her. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. If, if this was a movie, I would, that would be the part I'd be waiting for. Oh, we haven't even talked about how we would cast the characters who, who are our favorite. <laughs> uh, don't worry, people, darling people, that that's going to happen. One of these episodes we might yeah. even make it a bonus episode where we cast yeah. the book, you know, maybe at the end of the, you know, we'll wait till we get all the characters and we've got a good idea of what they're all like. We might make that a bonus episode. Yeah, it has to be an episode all on its own because oh, God, yeah. that would be a lot, a lot. So, oh, this is, there's so much in this, there's so much in this um, episode, but we're After. nearly, we're nearly at the end. So, so they leave it and they say, oh, we'll, we'll talk about um, where we're actually going to go, how we're actually going to proceed tomorrow, you know. It's just a bit early. And then, they, and then the soldiers turn up right. and come looking for Mr. Wolf and tell them that they're going to take them to see King Fulrak. And the way that, the way that Mr. Wolf kind of reacts to that news is interesting, I think. Did you find it so? I don't No, I didn't pick up on it. Well, he's just so bloody relaxed about the whole thing. He's like, let's just get this over with. If Fulrak, like, refers to the king by his first name. If Fulrak wants to see me, let's just get this over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, when he, you mean when he shows himself, like, because at first... Aunt Paul's trying to like cover for him and then he yeah. just kind of strolls out. He's like, all right, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. This is just, 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 yeah. Let's just get yeah. this over with. So Aunt Paul's like doing the do with the queen when she gets pissed off with her and Mr. Wolf's like, yeah, well, whatever, what the bloody hell does full rack want? Like he's the next door neighbor or something. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just bothered like yeah oh, bothered. let's just get Again. this over and done with and so and so whilst the soldiers treat them very graciously it's um it's, they're left by with no misunderstanding that they aren't allowed to leave they are virtually being kept prisoners and so and then like the last um i think we're oh that's right and <laughs> the other thing that's 
that is is good here is that the um, the captain of the sol the soldiers calls um, Aunt Paul out on being the Duchess of Arat because mm -hmm. his great uncle is the Duke <laughs> of Arat. And he's like, so, you know, I don't want to contradict you, but I know this dude and you ain't that dude. Um, so, but Aunt Paul, like, doesn't drop, the, doesn't drop any of it for a second. She keeps going. And um, Yeah, she was really good with, like, keeping her cool on that. Yeah, and she just looks like... If anything, she like holds it even more firmly and just gets like more haughty. In my head, that's what happens anyway. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been that cool about it. I would have started stuttering and like looking for, okay, he caught me. What am I going to do? <laughs> Can you even imagine Aunt Paul stuttering for a moment? No. No. Um, so, so yeah, so anyway, so we've discovered that Arpal is incredibly beautiful, very, very good at being haughty, and is now a prisoner of Colonel Brendig, who is going to take them all to see King Fulrek, and that's where the <laughs> chapter ends. Yeah, that should be an interesting string of events coming up. Yeah, so right at the end, Garion's like, obviously overawed with all of the stuff, and he imagines the door closing when Colonel Brendig leaves has like not the sound of a wooden door, but the clang of a dungeon door. Mm -hmm. That's Garion's perception. Like, oh crap, we're in, we're in for it now. And that is the whole chapter. And my throat's really dry now. I know that was long. It's a long chapter. Bloody hell. <laughs> <sighs> Take a breath. So to get into like the magic of this chapter, what stood out for me, and I didn't want to speak too much on it, just like you didn't want to speak too much on your moment, mm -hmm. <laughs> but was the, the part with, um, we learn more about Torak with the orb of Aldor mm -hmm. and how Torak used that to crack the world. Oh and, yeah, that's big magic. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and then the orb almost retaliates against him for, for doing that by burning his eye out. And that just fascinated me because to have this thing that can do such destruction in the wrong hands to mm. literally crack the world in half, I mean, that's some big magic that's mm. like, wow. You imagine if something like that actually existed, like what trouble we'd be in so if how do you see, hands on it. How do you see, like... Um, that magic working so what are the rules that are being created in your head so he cracked the world and then it retaliated so what's the do you do you have any rules being you know what I mean do you know how when you learn about magic in a world there's sort of a mm -hmm. consequence or you know you have to give up something to get the magic or is there anything like that being built in your imagination as you picture the story I'm not I've never been that good at picking up rules of magic in the worlds that I read honestly I'm not the person that, that can pick that stuff up very easily I didn't really pick much up with this either other than the orb obviously has some kind of a mind of its own oh I like that <laughs> I like that right that's, there. All, that's what I really got out of it to know that it can retaliate against you, you yeah know? yeah so, okay, cool. So my bit of magic was oh, was just a sweet 
you know, Aunt, the way Aunt Paul and Gary were together and he put his hand out and we haven't heard about that mark on his palm again yet, but that's the that's like the key, you know, reaches his hand out, touches the white lock of hair and opens this window in his mind where he sees good stuff. And then when Aunt Paul's like had enough and doesn't want any more questions, we know that he's already tired, but the way it's written, you know, she says, and go to sleep now. And he's like out like a light. And there just seems to be this really quiet, deep kind of magical substance in the way that she just puts him to sleep so gently, so beautifully, just like blinking. And I mm -hmm. love that. So that's my magical thing. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so relating it to real life, for this chapter, um, I related to the part when Gary and, and Barrack were talking and then Gary starts going a little bit too far and um, Barrack starts to get nervous and doesn't want to answer anymore. I mean, Aunt Paul really, she really reminds me of one of my own aunts. There's, I, I literally have an aunt who's just like her. It's so, so stern. As a child, you're like terrified of her in a way. <laughs> But she was never like mean, like not, not mean. She was just really stern. And so yeah. growing up, I didn't live in the same city. So when I would go visit, the cousins that lived near her that I had um, knew much better of like what you can and cannot say <laughs> around her. <laughs> so they were very sure if she was close, they would not say anything wrong because they did not want the scolding. <laughs> so that's what Barrack's reactions reminded me of that moment. Okay. okay. Well, my bit of personal real life relating is when they get to the in the lion at in Kamar, the, the the beautiful, you know, upmarket inn, the best inn in the city. And Garion's a little bit like glamoured by how everything is, you know, it's all very beautiful and rich and I can remember when I was a very little girl being taken um, on an overnight sleeper train from Charleville, where I, we lived in the middle of Queensland, a little country town, with my mum to Brisbane, which is the closest um, big city to, I think I had to have something done with my ear, like see a specialist. But we had, so I had this amazing train journey, got to sleep overnight in this really beautiful like train carriage we had our private carriage and then we got to this city hotel and I've never seen a city in my life so I'm like you know everything's glittery and and like wow it's all amazing and we got to the hotel and I can I remember just just being completely awed so I just went back into this memory of myself as a little girl walking into this this place. And yeah, so yeah. that's what I'm relating that to this week. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome though. To have that like that childlike wonder of mm, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's such a happy it's memory. Like off. my cheeks are aching. I'm smiling so big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I brought that back for you. Okay. Well, oh, you know what time it's for now.
did I even say a proper sentence just then? (laughs) (laughs) I think our brains are fried after that chapter. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's time for prophecies. Prophecy speaks. Prophecy speaks. And I finally have a different book. Ooh, I saw that. I smell every time I grab a book, I like to smell it to see. Some of them have that really, really good book smell, and others just don't have a smell. Mm. I like the secondhand book smell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the more they're used, the more they have the paper smells stronger. It's like that, I don't know. They pick up more magic with the more hands that touch them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so which book are you using today? So I am using a book called Spitting Out the Bones, a Zen Master's 45-Year Journey by D. Genpo Merzel. Wow. And um, I actually um, read it all a while ago. And it was very, very interesting. So this is the one that I'm looking at today and I don't really have a specific um oh yes I do yes I do so (laughs) so I've been contacted by someone that I don't know really at all and I'm not quite sure what they want but there's some kind of like you know let's get together and because you know your business, my business, but I'm just not quite sure what it's all about. And it's all a bit, mm. so <laughs> maybe a little bit of insight into what the hell I should do about that. That would be good. Yeah. That face was classic. <laughs> yes, sorry, could guys. See it. I do have video of this and one day you might actually get to see that face. So you never know. <laughs> You're lucky in the big city. <laughs> so Yeah, that's, that's a good one. It is hard when you get that kind of approach. Yes, so I'm just um, so yeah, a little bit of direction to do with that would be great. However, it is the teacher's job and responsibility to break this kind of illusion. At some point, when the student is advanced, he or she has to be disappointed, disillusioned by the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Who is my job to disappoint the person? (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was very direct <laughs> it was no nonsense this week yeah wow um okay so the book i'm doing today is the war of art by stephen <gasps> pressfield i've wanted to read this for ages oh you haven't read this yet oh, no man. i don't have i haven't got the book in my library yet you yeah you need to do because it's it's a really awesome book and i forget all why am i oh the war of art this book came to mind to send to my client who i just started working with because i'm helping her write her book and i think this book is perfect for people who are in the arts Mm -hmm. trying to create because uh he he's so right on with so much of this stuff and like when you have that resistance come up you know and don't want to just do it like write the damn book then pull this this book out so I was going to send it to her so it was on top of my mind so I pulled it out um but for me I don't I mean I guess I pulled it out for myself too because I 
as well with the the break and all of that. I've not been writing as much as I'd like and mm-hmm. excuses of like, well, I got the business stuff to do. So that's more important in quotations, <laughs> which isn't true. Oh yes, the many and varied excuses we can come up with for not putting our bum in the seat and writing the words. Yeah. So I think it's just um, maybe some direction from my own writing journey. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay. <laughs> when I lived in the here, when I lived in the back of my Chevy van, I had to dig my typewriter out from beneath layers of tire tools, dirty laundry, and moldering paperbacks. My truck was a nest, a hive, a hellhole on wheels, whose sleeping surface I had to clear each night just to carve out a foxhole to snooze in. The professional cannot live like that. He is on a mission. He will not tolerate disorder. He eliminates chaos from his world in order to banish it from his mind. He wants the carpet vacuumed and the threshold swept so the muse may enter and not soil her gown. Okay, so what does that say to you apart from the fact that it just says everything to you right then on the page? Uh, um, this one, I don't know. It's a hard one for me because... Really? Yeah, because he's talking about, you know, you have, well, I guess, I mean, if I think more in metaphorical terms, not literally like clearing and cleaning your house, because to me, I don't know, I feel like that gets in the way, because then I'm using that as a distraction in itself to like not sit down and write, because I'm like, oh, I got to clean up this mess, and I'm like, oh, let me clean my desk, or reorganize it, instead of just writing. Um but in like a more of a metaphorical sense. And like he says, um, he will not tolerate disorder. He eliminates chaos from his world Mm -hmm. in order to banish it from his mind. I think that specifically is the the phrase there for me is that, you know, you need to, I need to still work a little bit better on keeping everybody else's chaos out of my world. Mm-hmm. And that includes like my business stuff, like yeah. figuring out a way to keep that ordered and organized so that I'm not feeling so scattered by it. Cause I do, I feel like so scattered by it sometimes to the point of, I can't like rest until it's organized and I just need to get more organized with it. Okay. Then, yeah. So you got your answer. Yep. That's it. All right, so let's see. I didn't write actually write out a prediction for the next chapter. Give us one by the city of But I think that you're writing back to the chapter now. <laughs> I was on the war. Of, <laughs> I'm in the war of art here. Um, so we finished with I the think, door closing, and there's a dungeon in Garion. Yeah. Imagination. I, I think that Mr. Wolf seems so calm and collected about all of this. He knows a lot more than what Garion does. And I don't think they're in as much trouble. I think that Wolf's going to easily kind of talk them out of this situation mm-hmm. to where Garion's going to be like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> um, and then they'll be on their way again. And okay. like, what, what Mr. Wolf will do, I don't know. But I think he's going to pull something out of his sleeve. Cool. Uh, let's just check the prediction you had for last week. So last week you said they'll finally catch up to 
who and what they're following and Gary will begin to understand the depth of his journey. So part of that's right. I think Garion's starting to, you know, understand more of what they're doing, but they're definitely, well, no, no, I guess they have caught up. Like they've got the trail. So, you know, <laughs> pretty good yeah. doing. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Garion does call it out to yeah. say, I think we're actually after the oil. Yeah. Okay. I'll pay that. <laughs> I'll pay that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm on a roll now. Okay, darling listeners, if you're all the way at the end of this episode, you can catch us on our social media platforms. I'll put all the links in the show notes. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram are our main places. And you can find out all of the general information and episodes and what have you on our website, Belgarian and Beyond. dot goddesskindle.com but i'll put again all the links in the show notes so just go there and click on the clicky things and if you'd like to talk to us about this episode in particular you can use the hashtag use the hashtag duchess of Irat because that's like i think the main one for the chapter <laughs> and hopefully yes. you will take a chance and um have a go at the prophecy speaks for yourself like if, you haven't, if you've been a listener since episode one and you haven't done it yet, what, what, what the, what's going on and why haven't you told us about it? And if you're having a problem, ask some questions and we will help you out. Yeah, that's what this is for too. It's a community. We can all connect with each other. <clears throat> and the Prophecy Speaks, I think, is an opportunity to really open up more doors to like say, hey, this is me and this is where I'm coming from. And, yeah. You know? We would so, so love to hear from you. And I don't know if we're at the 100 followers on 100 Facebook followers yet, but we may already have a private Facebook group because if we've reached 100 followers, my deal is once we get there, private group time and you will be invited in and we can have all kinds of geeky conversations and magic and it will be amazing. So check it out. Maybe it's already there. Time travel. I'm going to say, yeah, it's, it's there because we already have 85 people now. <laughs> I would hope by March we're going to have 15 more people. <laughs> so let's see how we're going. Maybe I'm already in the group chatting with you mm-hmm. and this is like totally meta. <laughs> <laughs> I know this time, this time travel thing is great. With the I know. I love it. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, is that Here us? Goes. I'm so tired. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting hungry for lunch and thirsty. I gotta go you, pee. Your lunchtime is my really <laughs> late dinner time. It's like half past eight, and I want yeah. food. Yeah, me too. So we all say goodbye to you guys and go eat our food. See you next <laughs> week, my love. Oh, that was a good one. Wow, that was like my brain's aching. (laughs) I know, it was a lot. A lot. And it kept stumping me too. This chapter was stumping me a lot.